The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Patricia Green. She's the Paul T. Babson Chair in Entrepreneurial Studies at Babson College, where she formerly served first as the Dean of the Undergraduate School and then later as the Provost. Prior academic positions were the Kaufman, Missouri Chair at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and the New Jersey Chair of Small Business and Entrepreneurship at Rutgers University. Green's current assignment at Babson is to serve as the National Academic Director for the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Initiative and advisor to the 10,000 Women Program. Dr. Green is a founding member of the Diana Project, and besides being one of the foremost authorities on women entrepreneurship, she's one of my favorite people in the whole world, too. So I'm expecting a wealth of knowledge today, Patty. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Kelly, and thanks for that introduction. I've been looking forward to talking with you as well. Okay, so the 10,000 businesses, that was a small business initiative. That mm-hmm. was an outgrowth of the 10,000 Women Program. Um, tell us about that program before we get into this report on the progress, this progress report that was just released. What is the 10,000 Small Business Initiative, and what's its purpose? What are you hoping to achieve with it? Sure. So the 10,000 Small Businesses is a half-billion-dollar investment from the Goldman Sachs Foundation that we like to call uh, a program that works at the intersection of economic development and entrepreneurship. So the main purpose is help small businesses increase their revenues and create jobs. Okay, so stimulate we, the economy. That's, that's the whole idea, the whole idea. It was built in order to do that. Um, intriguingly, it was also built – to help community colleges uh, expand the way they teach entrepreneurship by leveraging the strength community colleges have in working in communities yes. with all kinds of folks. So that's been a really a really nice piece of it. And then the last part is ecosystem development. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we look at what kind of resources are out there? Uh, right now, we we deliver it through eleven community colleges. And our brand-new blended learning model that is partly online and partly face-to-face uh, two different times at Babson. Oh, okay. So so this is actually in person in the 11 communities that you just, just mentioned, and then also there's an online component. Um, let's talk about that growth. The progress report, I believe, of the 10,000, you're now at the 2,000 mark right of participants. Right around there, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So so you're about 20% in. You've released this progress report. Uh, what are some of the findings that you found interesting in particular? We're really, really pleased with our report, to tell you <laughs> the truth, because we thought this is what we were seeing, but when you put all the data together, it really confirms you know, they are growing. And mm-hmm. if we go to our two basic ones, the revenue, yes, 63.7%, got to get that, 0.7% in there, um, increased their revenue when we look at them six months after graduating. 
So nearly two-thirds of these mm-hmm. companies. How does that compare, and I'm going to ask you this too when it comes to employee growth, how does that two-thirds uh, experiencing growth in revenues compare to the general business population? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find the comparative stats on that. Uh, what we found was a survey that was done by the, the National Small Business Association, and their number was 37%. So 37% of their respondents had grown their revenues, while 637 of ours had grown. And so that's pretty impressive. Do you have uh, numbers as to the amount of growth, the percentage of growth? Did they increase their revenues by 1% or did they increase them by 50% on average? It's a, a range. Mm-hmm. It, it's a full range. So, of course, before we go into that, Kelly, you know, one thing I'd like to say is that this program is not designed to make everybody grow as much as, as humanly possible. It's, it, we really talk about it as creating value yes, uh, and creating value for the, the business owner and for the community. And the thing is, they get to decide what the value is they're creating. Not everybody wants to grow. A, a giant business. So some of this I think we have to think about is how much does it match what they really wanted to do. And Yeah, and that's a great point because every entrepreneur has different goals. And the other thing is is that even if a company does have growth in their sites and, you know, big growth in their sites, it has to be sustainable growth. So you're, you're yep. very... You're very right. You're very right to point out that this isn't all about grow, 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 grow as fast in a short time period, and then and then that's it. So so with that in mind and, and set, setting that yes, setting yes, yes. setting those parameters, go ahead with what it you're going like to say. Looks like a drum roll, please, because I, I didn't mean the, the average revenue growth was 68 percent. Oh my is, goodness! I know. So it was, wow. It almost sounded like I was setting us up to, to temper it. <laughs> it's not that at all. You know, 15% of our, our participants grew between 1% and 10%. Another 29% were between 11 and 50%. But then you figure everybody else is over 50%. Mm-hmm. You know, so we even had 9% grew over 100, 100% for their revenues. So do you think that the comp- – I, I, I'm – trying to figure out why you achieve such high growth after six months, do you think that more more of the companies that really are trying to achieve growth are participants versus those who are happy with a more lifestyle-type business? Do you think they just self-excluded as participants? Could that be part of the reason for such big growth? I do think it's part of it. I mean, mm-hmm. you have in order to get into this program, you have to already be at least two years old, have four employees, and between 150,000 and you know maybe up to four, four to six million dollars in revenue, okay. and you have to show that you want to grow. Mm-hmm. But I, I say that at the same time, our businesses range between two years and 102 years. So some of these are third-generation companies that are looking to, to rejuvenate themselves yes. or to have the next generation you know, change over. Some have been plateaued for years, oh, and, I can believe and we that. work yeah. with them on that. Um, and some are new and hungry. So there's yeah. a, a huge, huge range in there. Um, let's let's just, go ahead. Well, the only thing I was going to add, Kelly, was that you know, two-thirds of them have grown their revenues. I think it's important to think about the fact, too, that this is only six months after they graduate. Right. And some of them had to take some backward steps first. You know, some of them realized that maybe the, the market they were in 
isn't really going to allow for growth, so they had to switch something there. Mm-hmm. Some of them had the wrong people, the wrong processes. Right. So or products, with, products they needed be. to kill. Absolutely, yeah. mm-hmm. absolutely. So we actually have some data on those that are switching products, switching markets, that kind of thing. So the fact that it's it's two thirds of six months. What's going to be great is we keep we're going to keep collecting this data. We can see what happens after that. Yeah, uh, six months to get these kinds of numbers is really impressive. Let's uh, focus now on the employee side of things. There was mm-hmm. substantial employee growth as well from the report, correct? There was uh, 44.8% added new jobs by six months after, and our comparison from the same um, NSBA survey there is 18%. And I, I will remind everybody, too, that we started this in 2010. So, you know, some of this, their six months was even within 2010. So those mm-hmm. are some, this includes some pretty rocky economic years as right. well. Right, some at the height of the recession, absolutely. Uh-huh. So, again, outperforming the general business population in terms of employee growth. And I think the correlation, though, I don't think that you would probably, you're the expert, so you tell me, but I, I don't think you could see that kind of employee growth, the resulting employee growth, if you didn't have the sales and the revenue growth that you just described, because what business owner hires employees without the, the sales to support it? it that, to me, that correlation just makes sense. It does. We haven't run all the stats on this mm-hmm. yet, but, I mean, it seems intuitively that, that that would be the case. At the same time, though, we do have some that have really worked on their operations and processes, basically profitability, so that they actually are able to, um, you know, the revenues might not be all that different, but they're a lot more profitable and therefore sure. can add a job. Great I point. would say that's the smaller amount mm-hmm. um, who only grew, only created jobs based on that. But we do have a few. Okay. You know, let, let's talk for just a minute about where this growth is coming from. You, there's all kinds of studies out there. Uh, we hear more and more. I think it's becoming more common knowledge. Those of us who've been in this space for a long time have known it for a while, but I think it's getting out more. Small businesses are the ones who create most of the new jobs. And you read different studies, though, and some are saying, you know, it's a very small percentage of small businesses that are creating these jobs. The vast majority of them are sole proprietors. They're uh, not job creators. And it's just a handful in the big scheme of things who that are fast growth companies. And they're usually younger companies that are creating all this job job growth. What's your take on that, especially when you talk about companies in your program being from two years old to 100 and some years old? 102. 102. That's why I can remember it. Oh, two, two and two. Okay, two and 102. Century difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and, and that's right. There, there is some truth to that, some truth. But the fact of the matter is, one of the things that actually drives us crazy in the program is how few people really understand the nature of the economy. So one of the things we do during their orientation is we tell them, I'm a professor, I'm going to give you a quiz. And we make everybody stand up. And we say, if you don't know the answer, sit down. If you stay standing, we probably will call on you, so, you know, be ready. Bluffing might be dangerous. (laughs) And we just first ask, how many businesses are there in the United States? Boom. Every single person sits down every single time. And then we, we have them stand up again, and we ask, how many are big businesses? If you go, you know, from the over 500 employees, right? everybody sits down. You know, and we go through a couple iterations of this 
you know, till they get to the point that 98% of the businesses in, in the United States have fewer than 20 employees. Oh, yeah, yeah. It gives them a whole different sense of who they are and what they've already accomplished just by the dint of having – they have at least four, and many of them have quite a few more than that. Right. So I, it's, I, it's just a yeah. different way of looking at what really happens. Absolutely. I, I've said for a long time that if you really want to get to the big, big businesses in the, United, in the country, rent a few vans and put their CEOs in them and you know, take them off for a little retreat because you can just about fit them in there. I mean, that's a bit of, bit of an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. But isn't it something like 1% of all businesses in the U.S. have over 500 Employees? It's just under one percent. Just under one percent. It's, it's around ten thousand. You know, it goes up mm-hmm. and down a little bit, but it's, it's out of the what, t- almost twenty-eight million businesses in in the United States. Only about ten thousand of them have more than five hundred employees. Yeah, it's amazing because that, of course, they're the ones who get the headlines though, and and have the clout for the most part to to grab those headlines and influence uh, legislation and all the other things that are, that go on that impact all of us. Okay, so we, we've talked about the growth. Uh, let's turn now to some of the uh, some of the other conclusions that came out of it. One of them I found fascinating was the wage gap. We hear a lot about the wage gap in America between the gender, the gender wage yep. gap. You know, yep. that, that women get paid roughly, I think it's 80 or 81 percent on the dollar to men. Interestingly, your study among the owners of these businesses found the same almost to the percentage, I think it was 1% off, to the percentage, the same kind of gap. And these are women business owners who control their own salary. What kind of light can you shed on that? That was one of those totally unintended, not consequence, just finding. Yes. Um, Basically, we said, hmm, that would be interesting. Let's look at that. Because we asked two very simple questions. You know, do you pay yourself a, a salary? And then basically, what do you pay yourself? Mm-hmm. And, and when we looked at this first, I was surprised at the extent of the difference. And then I was really surprised that it's almost the same as, yeah. as the um, workplace, the workforce gender gap. A couple of things. You know, there's lots of, I would call it bickering, about whether a, a salary gap really increases or not. And that's usually not about whether there is one, but why there is one. Yes. Uh, so, you know, that, let, let's take that off the table right off the bat. Um, often talks about industry. In this program, our industry is the only thing that's only industry that has more than 10% for all our participants is services, which, you know, Makes that's sense. not surprising. Right. Everything else is scattered. Um, there are some slight significant differences, and I'm talking statistically significant differences in industry across some of those categories mm-hmm. in our gender, in our comparison here. Not a lot, though. So uh, it's, it's, I don't think that that can be making I, – I don't know that that's the impact. Okay. Um, what we're going to do is, is dive into this and, and kind of unpack it even more to look at is it the age of the business, is it – you know, the sizes of the business when they come into the program. So we'll have more on this. Um, I think the most interesting part is what happened by six months after. Yes, and that's that's what I was going to lead you to if you didn't bring it up. So what did you see after six months? Well, at six months after, that gap had diminished considerably in that women were now paying themselves 92% 
of what the men were paying themselves. So they went from 80 to 92. And let, let's be clear, too. Nobody's saying that men are paying themselves the right amount. True. You know, it's, True. it's just there is a difference. What's right and wrong, again, has a lot to do with the value that they're trying to create in their business, how they're trying to grow. Um, it, it can be all kinds of mm-hmm. things. But what we're very intrigued and, you know, personally pleased with is that, you know, women learned what the going rates were yes. uh, through this program. It's a, uh, it is a peer learning program. It's a highly confidential, trusted environment. So information like this does get shared. Um, so there, there's that piece of it, mm-hmm. and that finding out what the growing rate is and, and basically paying yourself what you're worth. The other part of it is, is, is kind of much more instrumental in that they also learn that if they want to keep growing their business and attract outside resources, whether it be uh, a, a bank yes. or for, for a very few, some equity, right? it's helpful to show that they can pay themselves a livable salary. Right, because if they, uh, yeah, if you don't show that you can pay, if the owner can't pay themselves, then that's creating a false profit or, you know, the, it skews the financials. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. So on one hand, they're, they're basically learning you know how to how to do their financials appropriately for growth, which can be different than the usual tax mitigation approach of many small businesses. Right, right. Uh, so it's just a, a a different way of looking at that, and we don't know what, if any, of these proposed explanations fit yet. It's early. But again, mm-hmm. it's something we're really looking forward to diving into. Absolutely. Patty, I'm going to stop you right there. I want to take a quick break for our sponsor, Benedictine College. We'll be right back. Your product outshines the competition, so why aren't you outselling them? You're meeting sales projections, but the bottom line just isn't what it should be. Technology is changing rapidly and impacting your ability to perform. Something needs to change, but you just can't put your finger on what. I'm Patrick Shore, your host at The Hut, where we tackle these and other issues. The Hut is a safe place where we can explore what it takes to not only stay in front of the competition, but make it irrelevant. So come on in, kick off your shoes, and join the conversation every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio Network. The Hut, your path to a stronger, thriving, profitable business. It's true, who you know is important, but what you know and how you apply that knowledge is what helps accelerate your career. Benedictine College's Executive MBA program is the only one-year executive MBA program in Kansas City. The North Johnson County campus and weekend class times are convenient and allow you to learn from world-class thought leaders and collaborate with other executives who intend to make a difference in their business and their community. Go to benedictine.edu slash EMBA. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Dr. Patricia Green. She's the Paul T. Babson Chair in Entrepreneurial Studies at Babson College, and she's also the National Academic Director for the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Initiative. They have just released a report on the first six months of progress of this initiative, and we've been talking about some of the pretty impressive results, particularly in revenue and employee growth. Patty, what I'd like to talk about now is the format of the program. I know they have the participants have resources at their disposal and that there are various ways that they engage with each other. So if you could talk with us about what the – let's just walk me through it – 
from the very beginning. How do I apply for it? How do I get accepted? And then what can I expect once I become a participant? Sure, Kelly. So there's there's two different versions. One is our fully face-to-face version, and that's offered at 11 community colleges or, or city colleges across the country. And the best way to see if you're near one of those is actually go to the website of ICIC, Initiative for a Competitive Inner City, mm-hmm. which is www.icic.org, and look for 10,000 small businesses because that really is our intake. That's how you apply. Um, if you are accepted to one of those face-to-face programs, you have about 10 full-day mods and a set of clinics. So it's face-to-face education. You've got a lead faculty who guides you through everything, mod faculty who are your specialty faculty, and you get your personal business advisor for usually between six and eight hours to help you figure out how do I directly apply what I'm learning mm-hmm. to growing my business now. Okay. That's the majority of the education piece. The only other thing I'd say about the education piece is Babson designed this and trained all the community colleges to deliver it, mm-hmm. and it is a little bit different. You know, Some of the differences are an emphasis, early stage, opportunity recognition, uh, a lot of personal development. Basically, we work with people who build businesses, that type of thing. Right, right. And an emphasis on peer learning, and that's been critical. Peer learning, are those business owners who have been successful in the community, or is it the other participants in the program? It's all the participants. Okay. Um, what we've found, and again, we've done this now we're close on to 70 times we've delivered this program to our, our, our 2,000 alumni. Everybody in the room brings something to it. Everybody's good at something about growing their business. And we just, we've set up the education so that it's exercises on working on their business. It's not, I hate to say this as a professor, but it's not a lot of book learning, <laughs> although there's certainly, that's what's underneath the, the creation of it. Yes, and, and you have to remember that this demographic, uh, adults usually learn better from peers. So That's what it is. Yeah. So everything is broken down into specific exercises that they work with each other while they're working on their businesses and with the advisors, too. Mm -hmm. So everything just keeps moving. Right. You have a phenomenal graduation rate, 99%, right? We do. We do. And that was another unexpected thing. We actually wondered how that would work. Mm -hmm. And I guess we just call our program Sticky. Once they're in... They stay in. So it is. Across these four years, we're still at a 99% retention rate. Yeah, so so you have that. And a lot of that, I would suspect, I, I don't know for sure, but I would suspect a lot of that goes to the peer-to-peer networking component, that they, they learn from each other and they form those relationships. So it's it's easier to stay in touch with a person than it is with a book, you know, a more traditional mm-hmm. curriculum, so the study curriculum. So that that was pretty phenomenal when I saw that. Now, when you're talking about the curriculum itself, one of the things that I found interesting in reading the report is that it is a behavior-based curriculum. What do you mean by that? In that it really is about doing something. Mm, okay. You know, so as soon as you learn something, it's about what do I actually do with this now? changing the behaviors too such as one of the things we talk about a lot with them is how do you even use your financials not just understanding what is a you know cash flow statement which is important but how do you make a decision based on that so that's why again bringing their financials in and working on those together 
makes a huge difference, and we're trying to change their behaviors long term. We basically say we're in a, almost a growth intervention. You know, you're with us for four months, and then you're in the alumni program, which is critical. But we also work on how do you recognize what other resources are in the community? You know, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm personally a fan of the Small Business Development Center. Yes. So how do you use your SBDC? How do you use your export center? How do you use your procurement center? You know, how do you find eventually consultants or specialists that you need to learn how to pay for? Right. That type of thing. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, absolutely, I know you're a proponent of those organizations. And it's interesting because there many communities throughout the U.S. are rich with those kinds of resources, but there's still such a disconnect with the entrepreneurs knowing of their existence. And it, a lot of times it's right under their nose. So programs like this help marry those, marry the entrepreneur and those organizations because phenomenal resources in these communities. No, I, I think that's a great way to say it, Kelly. And and frankly, I think the other one that if we're not marrying, we're at least getting engaged to <laughs> are, are the capital providers. Oh, yes. So, so there is a component of this where there's an opportunity to access capital. And across the country, we've partnered with a, a number of um, CDFI, Community Development Financial Institutions, who have what I would call, if you're not quite ready, for a bank, mm-hmm. um, there's a different level of, of risk reward there. There's a different level of technical assistance, and what the program does is help you understand the business models of resource providers, so that you understand what you need to do to be able to, to access right. that kind of whether it's capital or, or or anything else at all. Okay, so in the just couple of minutes that we have remaining, Patty, what I know that you're ju- you've just assess this at the six-month point. You're a couple years into it, and this this is a report, a report on the first six months of progress. What do you see, just in the short little time frame that you, you do have a snapshot of, what do you see as the longer-term implications that will come out of this? What I would love to see, and what we're starting to see, is changing the way that the country thinks about small businesses and building a community that just because they're they're main street doesn't mean they're not going to create significant economic impact right um, and we do frankly it's not just main street but it's really all kinds of businesses but having that broader recognition of how businesses work together so changing the way people work together inside businesses and across businesses and you know one of my favorite data points too is 80% of our businesses are working together at the point of graduation that's I think great. That's very yeah, cool. absolutely. Well, and and that's again going back to the ninety nine percent retention rate. Mm-hmm. You form those relationships, and and there's a compelling reason to stay involved. So, yeah, that's that's great. If if you want to find out more about the program, tell me again where we can go and and find out more information. You can go three different places. You can go to the Babson website. You can go to the Goldman Sachs Tech Ten Thousand Small Business website. The one to apply, the best one, is www icic.org and just look for 10,000 small businesses. Okay, and one last question. Is this a rolling application process? You can jump in at any time or are there certain periods of the year where you accept applications? There are certain periods of the year when it's hotter mm-hmm. around applications, but it depends on the site. You know, They offer these usually three times a year in each one of our cities. For the national cohort, we didn't really talk about that one too much, um, that is a little bit more of a rolling. We're only doing that twice a year, but it's, it's just if you go to the IC site, you can pretty much find everything you need. And if not, 
feel free to email me. It's just green with an E at the end at babson.edu. Thank you for being on the show today. We really appreciate all your insights. Anytime, Kelly. It's a real pleasure. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at www.ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Twitter at IThinkBigger or like our Facebook page, Thinking Bigger Business Media. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.